Welcome back to Hex Drinkers episode 56. Uh, it's been a while since you've last heard us. I am going to be your host for today. Uh, my name is Chev and I'm joined by Eric. Hello. And Oakley. Yo. And uh, we're, we're getting into the spirit of Kamigawa. Spoilers are, are well underway at this point. So we thought it would be a good time to kind of get up to speed with the, the story of Kamigawa. Eric is going to walk us through kind of some of the old myths and stuff that are being brought back with the sagas that we've been seeing in this set. And then we'll kind of go into the new story and, and what's really behind the spoilers and kind of what's going on on this plane that's seen a complete 180 since we last visited 20 years ago or something. I don't know. Before my it's time. It's been a minute. <laughs> it's been a minute since we've been on Kamigawa. Now they have neon lights and... It's going to say ninjas, but they had that before. They have neon lights. They and, have ninjas with neon lights. <laughs> ninjas with neon lights. Perfect. So uh, I think... You know, we don't have to spend too long in this opening. Obviously, if you love and care about us and, and cherish our content, check us out on Patreon at Hexdrinkers or buy things through TCG Player with the affiliate link that's going to be in the podcast description. We know you're going to buy cards anyway, so do it through there. Then we get a little, a little money for beer. And with that, that's all I got. Eric, you want to tell us what the hell a Kamigawa is? Yeah, sure thing. Kamigawa is a Japanese-inspired plane we first visited a long time ago, and now we're headed back. Uh, it's one of the more contentious planes to, refer, to return to, but... No one cares about that. This is just about the story. The last story took place during the Kami War. It is a 20-year-long war started when the Emperor at that time stole power from the spirit world, riling up the biggest and baddest of the Kami, uh, which are these like spirit deities of Kamigawa, essentially blowing open a war between them. What was the thing that was taken, Eric? Because we got a card of it at the time. Ah, uh, yes. Uh... The thing that was taken was that which was taken. Ah, right, of course. So, but what was it? <laughs> uh, it was a weird, like, pearlescent egg with a little dino-looking thing inside of it. The war ended when that which was taken bonded with the current emperor's daughter, and they both were like, Yo, our parents super suck. Uh, let's just not have... Let's shut this shit down right now. They killed both of their parents. Uh, Okigachi may or may not be dead. Uh, that was the leader of the kami, but Lord Konda, dead, dead. From there, sort of this era of peace and prosperity began, and this ultimately led to a flourishing in technology where people originally were using the kami as their source of magic and found a way to circumvent that. That's where you see a lot of the modern technology come from, all the superpowered mechs, all the neon lights. That's all energy being harvested from the spirit world without the help of the kami. But another consequence of this war... Slowly and over time, Kami just started appearing more and more. Not the same violent Kami as before, but they essentially literally just started to fall from the sky via merge gates. So something to add there, uh, Eric, is not necessarily just because of the cause of the war. One of the things that kind of became of the war and the, the cataclysmic event it was is a merging of the spirit and human realms just as like an event. And it's being harnessed through the merge gates that are currently on the plane. Um, and these are like trying to stop Kami from just dropping out of the sky, like you mentioned. And this is an event that will take place in the future. At some point, Kamigawa will have the spirit realm overlaying the human realm, and there won't be any secret space for either party. I was actually just about to ask, how exactly did those these two worlds like physically exist in relation to each other? Because Eric said falling out of the sky... And so it's above. Like, oh, is, is there? <laughs> you look up, you see the kami. Is there heaven, or is it like a traditional, like Nordic thing, where they exist in the same space? They're just. Oh, you've called me out for this before, <laughs> but we're gonna go with an Avatar: The Last Airbender reference here because I think it fits the best. Um, it's very much like the spirit world in that, and the spirits in that are actually very similar to kami in that they sort of look like these otherworldly creatures. They're very much overlaid on top of each other. Uh, however. No mortal really knows what the world of the Kami looks like, so it's tough to say what exactly is going on on the other side of these merge gates, but it appears as though these worlds are laying on top of each other somehow. I'm thinking like a pier-side carnival. They got roller coasters, they got like Ferris wheels and stuff, and maybe some popcorn and cotton candy machines. That's what I'd want from a spirit realm. I, I would certainly love to go there as well. As long as the games aren't made in a way that you can't win them. I'd want, like, when I throw the ball into the, the, like, glass cup, I wanted to go in and get a goldfish, or a, a kami goldfish. I'm sure that there is a kami of carnival goldfish, because, uh, to sort of clarify these creatures a little bit, they range from the most hyper-specific to pretty broad. One of the most famous kami that had a lot to do with during the kami war was the kami of Night's Reach. It was pretty much just the kami of darkness. 
Now they're also, in the current iteration of the story, we meet the Kami of Royal Pottery. It very specifically sits in a sink and cleans royal pottery. That's its life, and that's what it does, and it thrives. <laughs> they span a pretty broad breadth of like what they do and what they're about. However, at this point, I think we're pretty safe to jump into uh, the modern story after quickly covering, well, actually, the first story is the backstory, so we're good to jump in there. Quick question, because I'm taking the role of the viewer here, <laughs> and I know nothing, <laughs> of course. Um... And that's completely intentional. And now because right, I'm right, we did that on purpose. Yes. How much time has passed between the end of the original Kamigawa block and the start of this new one? And not time as in how many years since the set was released. I mean, in Magic's universe, uh, about like how long? I would say, I believe in universe, it's like hundreds, if not like a thousand years. Okay. It's been some time. So, getting right into it, we pick up our story focusing on essentially a young person named Kaito. Uh, he was sort of brought in by the Imperials, the ruling class of Kamigawa, and we focus on his training and how he's learning about the Imperial side of life. Uh, this is the person who we got a little backstory on. At the end of his backstory, it was revealed he will become a planeswalker, but at the point where we're picking up with the main story, he is not there yet. This covers sort of the basics and sets the stage for how the world is going to look. The Imperials are currently struggling with Kami relations, something that has been a big issue since cities started expanding, forests started getting destroyed, and again, these merge gates forcing the lives of Kami and Mortal together has been causing some problems. This seems like kind of out of Princess Mononoke, right? Isn't there some, some theme in that movie about, like, forests getting destroyed and spirits being upset? Also very similar themes, for sure. Yeah, it's a complete ripoff. Just <laughs> we saw Studio Ghibli. Everything I, if is there's the same. a secret lair Studio Ghibli from this, that would be wild and amazing. That is one of the few secret lairs I would buy immediately. <laughs> As we're following Kaido, we essentially learn that his sister is going to work on this Kami relations problem. Uh, they were again sort of both adopted adopted by the Imperials, and he's being left behind. But in being left behind, he ultimately finds sort of his first friend amongst the Imperials, who is actually the Emperor of Kamigawa. Though they never use the term empress, Kamigawa's emperor is a woman. As they're talking about sort of the issues that are present, it comes to light that a lot of the tech that is currently being found, a lot of the technology and power you see in the art, is actually very restricted, limited in use, and that's creating a lot of friction with the lower and other classes of people. The story focuses a great deal on the division that technology has sown between both mortals and kami, but also amongst the mortals themselves. And the final big important thing we get with the first story, A Stranger in Ijago, is that Kyodai, which is that which was taken after it came out of that weird pearlescent egg thing, it became Kyodai, soul of Kamigawa, and sort of named itself as one half of the emperor. The emperor is always sort of both immortal chosen from amongst the people, and Kyodai, this sort of consistent force. We get to meet Kyodai and learn a little bit about it. Weird-looking kami, you should look up the art of the card. It's very interesting. But we also get to see, very importantly, both Kyodai and the Emperor get absolutely rocked by Tezzeret. He pulls through, destroys them both, destroys Kaido, and leaves Kamigawa in shambles, essentially. With the Emperor missing. <laughs> yes. Tezzeret shows up. Pulls some, some sneaky shit. Then we see the Emperor gone and it, it, it's Kaido's sort of origin story where he's trying to like, what am I going to do? The Emperor's gone and no one believes me that this dude with a metal arm had something to do with it. Pretty much he says, a guy with a metal arm was here and the Imperials say, that's all I needed to hear. Sounds like it's those kids with their technology. They're the problem. And he's like, it wasn't them. And they're like, no, you've already told us. It's the youth with the technology. Got it. <laughs> In this moment, Kaito also is sadly sort of like separated from the Imperials. His mentor throughout this process is named Lightpaws. And Lightpaws makes it very clear that he is not wanted to be a part of this investigation or really to be a part of like the Imperials anymore. It's a pretty devastating moment for Kaito, but after his origin story, which takes place after this, which is really just about him finding his spark and him bonding with uh, the Kami of the spark, which is very interesting. 
Uh, as a brief aside, if you read that story, you get to see Akami teach someone how to planeswalk and like awaken their spark, which we actually have seen before when Toshiro Umizawa was banished from the plane of Kamigawa forever for being a conniving bastard. And that's why we love him. That's why Chev pilots him. <laughs> the Kami of Knight's Reach, which I mentioned before, banished Toshiro from the plane and was just like, you leave now, I hate you this much, get off of my plane. <laughs> Interesting to note that Kami have relation to travel between the planes. That is something that should be marked down for later. I wonder if that's going to become a, a problem when there's the sort of merging of the human and spirit realms. Like if the power is somehow tied to the existence of the Kami realm, once they all find themselves on the plane of Kamigawa, do they still maintain the ability to kind of move between planes or understand of their existence? I think that will be a very interesting issue to reconcile with. And it seems like with this whole, the merge is happening, but not yet there might be setting up for a return to Kamigawa again later, and I'd be very right. interested to see how they deal with that then. Return to Kamigawa 3, Tokyo Drift. <laughs> uh, bring it, baby. After this, <laughs> we pick up, ten years later, Kaito has returned to the plane of Kamigawa after awakening his spark and traveling the multiverse looking for the Emperor. At this point, it's revealed to us that the merge gates aren't appearing, they are very specifically being built. They are being made to help facilitate this transition by the Imperials. And this is all done by a conversation between Eiko and Kaito. They appear to have developed fully different ideals at this point. Eiko is firmly on the side of the Imperials. Technology needs to be restricted. We can't trust anyone to do the right thing except ourselves. We've been handling it thus far. Why shouldn't we continue to handle it? And Kaito is very much arguing on the behalf of the populace. And if the technology is good for the Imperials to have, it's great for everyone to have. We need to distribute this wealth of strength. We also learn that... A character Kaito met in his origin story, Tameshi, has grown much closer with Kaito. They now work together to sort of further this cause of futurism, as the story calls it, and distributing technology. But Eiko also informs him, Tameshi has been meeting with Tezzeret behind Kaito's back. Tezzeret is on the plane and actively doing something, and Kaito decides to find out what. It's not ideal. No, it's not. It's uh, much worse than any of us thought, in fact, because... Kaito goes to explore Tameshi's lab and is eventually sort of led down this chase to find a meeting Tameshi was at. Upon arriving, first off, he's like, ooh, some colorful jars of liquid and some boxes, and then like a praetor, and then like my friend's dead. Let's all rewind all that for a second. Uh, <laughs> as, as he comes in, he sees Jingitaxius. Who's blending in perfectly well with their tiny little pants. You know, you would you would think they, they were born and raised on Kamigawa. Jin is wearing pants now, and it is, like, pretty funny. Um, <laughs> but no, also, my massive scale needs to be covered up. Uh, Jin just killed Tameshi and implies that he will be taking over Tameshi's lab and will be taking control of whatever experiments they were conducting. The experiments appear to involve Kami... Some brightly colored, highly flammable liquids, which Jin proves by establishing that these liquids are highly flammable by throwing some at the wall and burning down all evidence of Tameshi's betrayal. This is also the point where Tameshi informs Kaito of Tezzeret's name and who he is. Uh, not who he is, really, but just that he's involved with this whole scandal. Yeah, now Kaito's able to go on more than just, there's a dude with a metal arm and he's mean. Now he's got like a name to actually search for too, which is infinitely more helpful. Which honestly, like if you're if you're just going across the multiverse and you're like, have you seen a man with a metal arm? Like we don't get sci-fi that frequently, but I feel like that isn't the best description to go. I feel by. like a lot of Kaladesh would have been pretty unhelpful for you with just yeah, every day. <laughs> right, just check all of them real quick. Like, yeah, do you we... have the Emperor? Do you like? It, there, there was more that could be done, and the fact that I mean. Kaito turns out to be awesome. Like, Planeswalker card, super cool. Alt art is done by the artist who does a lot of the, the Metal Gear Solid uh, covers and is super awesome. That's the Buy a Box promo. But man, like, he never learned in the entire period of traveling the multiverse. He never went to a place was like, bad dude with metal arm. One, we've already decided that's a terrible way to go about finding anyone. Two, no one ever that he ran into was like, oh, clearly you mean Dreadlock Man, Tezzeret. Giant pink glowing body part, destroyed like half of a plane. <laughs> so he just wasn't doing great for 10 years. Once finding out Tezzeret's name, as Chip pointed out, this is infinitely more helpful and is actually immediately able to get a lead by going to 
the historians of Kamigawa. They sort of maintain a living record of all information, and they point him towards uh, the Nezumi, which are the rat people who live in the swamp. That's not nice, Eric. They're literal rat people, Chev. The rat people? I, I, at one point, one of them literally is like, we tried to stop being rats because people were dicks to us about it, but like, I will bite this shit out of you if you don't leave us alone. And as that might hint, the rat people don't love humans. They're, they're not their biggest fan. Kaito turns out to have some trouble finding helpful information. What he has to go off is essentially, before Tezzeret's reintroduction to the story, he was doing some umping on Kamigawa, and he was looking for powerful artifacts, the story says, which, you know, he's a blue planeswalker, it's what they do. He then suffers some great betrayal by his people, and is left brain dead on the plane until Nicobolus comes to rescue him. Of course, that's using information that we know. Kaito just knows a dragon showed up and took him away. A mean dragon. True, a mean dragon. Kaito wanders around the swamp for a little while and eventually scares the Nezumi that he's onto them enough to, into them, sending out a drone to warn the survivor of, uh, like, Tezzeret's betrayal and this raid on Kamigawa. Kaito follows the drone and ends up running into Tamio, who is the caretaker for... This Nezumi. The Nezumi that survived from Tezzeret's betrayal previously yes. on the planet. sorry. We're, we're getting it... The story's about to get way more complex than this. We're getting to the fun people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we gotta make sure we got the foundation right. So we got some rat people. They're mean because Eric referred to them as rat people. Then Kaito went in and was like, Hey, do you know anything about Tezzeret? And they're like, We will bite you. Go F off. And then they tried to warn the one survivor uh, who Kaito was able to, to track. Essentially, Tamio and Kaito have a fight. Kaito once again gets just absolutely destroyed. He shows off his telekinesis and how he uses it in fights. It's pretty impressive, but Tamio's story magic is just too powerful. However, upon being invited inside Tamio's home after clarifying why he's there and what he's there to do, they both sort of recognize each other's planeswalkers and realize that they're, they're working towards a common goal. Additionally, Tamio states two things that are of huge importance. She is willing to break her neutrality for her home plane. Tamio has always been famously an observer and not a protector or defender, but this is the exception to the rule. This is her home. This is her house. This will not go down on her front door. Additionally, talks about meeting the Wanderer, a planeswalker with an unstable part, Spark, who cannot go home. Damn. Yes. The Emperor. This hits home pretty immediately for Kaito. Tamio, in addition to just revealing that the Wanderer is the Emperor, discusses what the Wanderer knows, which is Tezzeret was looking to create something. And there was this item called the Reality Chip that he tried to use on Kyodai, but in doing so, it awakened an unstable spark in the Emperor, and nothing really went right about the experiment. The reality chip is dangerous, and Tezzeret is trying to use it for bad things, but also, somehow they know that the reality chip can help the Emperor. Yeah, that part's never really, it's like, this thing did a bad thing, um, but maybe if we use it again, good things will happen, which is how all, all stories work out. Uh, one thing I want to jump in here real quick with before we get to, to Oakley's probable confusion question um, is, so we, we have both the Wanderer, as the Emperor, and um, Kaito in this set as Planeswalkers. Both do kind of cool things. The Emperor has abilities, uh, can come down with Flash, and can activate spells at, activate abilities at instant speed if on the turn they came down. Being like, oh, surprise, the Emperor's here and can do cool stuff. Uh, Kaito has phasing. I feel like the Emperor should have phasing. Based solely on the fact, like, they're there and then they're not. That seems like the, the perfect connection between these two things. I guess Kaito gets it because Sneaky is cool. But that, that's something that's bothered me since I saw like, oh no, when are they going to be back? Oh, they're back now. Like that seems like a Wanderer kind of move. I like it with the Wanderer having Flash and like suddenly appearing, especially given how they're going to show up in the story later. But I definitely recognize like phasing, I think would also be an appropriate mechanic. We'll just equip it with vanishing. Isn't that right, Eric? You love that. <laughs> no, no one loves vanishing. There is no love for Just vanishing give in this place. <laughs> <bump key>. No <laughs> problem. <laughs> um, my my question was, um, first of all, I don't recall 
was Tamiyo present during War of the Sparks? I believe that's the last time we saw the Wanderer, wasn't it? Yes, Tamiyo met the Wanderer during War. Okay, that was going to be my follow-up question. How do they? How does she know what the Wanderer was all about? Yeah, Tamiyo, famous for her non-interacting with conflicts on other planes, has shown up exclusively recently to help with conflicts on other planes. See, War of the Spark, Eldritch Moon, all those. But it's a good story point. <laughs> I was thinking about one of my favorite cards, Imprisoned in the Moon, right? Who did and it? Exactly. Well, I mean, no, I guess there's some question there. There but. is. Well, no, like uh, on the card, you see the moon and then I believe it's just Nissa and Tamio right there, like doing, presumably doing the ceiling unless they're just looking at the well, ceiling. Well, of course, Oakley, if you were here for our lore episode with uh, Eldritch Moon, part of that event is Emrakul takes over Tamio during the casting of that spell and alters one of Tamio's story scrolls and ends up imprisoned in the moon. So it's unclear if that was Emrakul's true intention there to end up in the moon through Tamiyo. So some of that is like a little bit questionable, but that's that's Innistrad. We already have a podcast you can listen to. Let's get back to Kamigawa. Kaito essentially decides, knowing that they want to go after the reality chip, which uh, just to clarify some confusion, I'm going to give you a little foresight from the end here. The reality chip enhances the power of planeswalkers. It just makes them better at what they can already do. It's also a jellyfish equipment. These are, these are important facts. It, it is very specifically a piece of technology. It, it is like a microchip. A, the reality chip. It's not a potato chip. Shit, I hope no one can mess with metal or anything. That would be, that would be bad. It would be very disappointing if someone specifically had technomancy powers. <laughs> Kaito says, we should go get the chip now. We should go after Tezzeret now. There's no time to wait. Tamio, famous for potentially moving a little too slow, is like, well, we should wait. We should gather more information. We need to figure out what Tezzeret's up to. We need to figure out what's going on. Tamio throughout this story will act too slowly. I just <laughs> want to make that a point that will recur. I'm going to call it out when it happens. Tamio is too slow. So something to bring up bring up now is they they know of the reality chip and and Kaito has seen it because it was in the lab that his friend was running way earlier in the story. So when when Kaito went in and saw the lab, he saw this weird jellyfish thing and was like, "That's freaking weird." Uh, and now has more context into what that is. So the the plan forward for Kaito is kind of clear. Go to where I just was, do something with that chip, destroy it, whatever, help the Emperor, bada-bing, bada-boom. And Tamio is kind of holding up that process. Very specifically, he noted the chip is unlike any technology on Kamigawa. Yeah, I think it's the only jellyfish on Kamigawa, so that's probably what he means. Probably has a lot to do with it being related to the Phyrexians, to Tezzeret, and also having like Kami technology involved. A lot of moving parts. Kaito decides that his plan is what's best, and the Tamio is a dumb old lady and he just goes and does what he wants breaks into the lab he can see that there are several kami around the lab dead dying or actively being experimented upon he finds the reality chip pretty immediately stealth and like infiltration are his main tactics that he is trained in so this isn't too difficult for him takes the chip pockets it goes to leave and is confronted by jinga taxius Jin, as opposed to just wiping the floor with him immediately, decides it'd be more fun if I called in some henchmen. The bad guys always love henchmen, so he calls in a bunch of ninjas. <laughs> the fight goes about how you'd expect. Kaito kills a bunch of ninjas, and then is like, there's way too many ninjas in this building. I gotta go. <laughs> Where'd they all come from? Classic bad guy move. Too many henchmen, not enough dark corners for them to have come from. Kaito manages to run away. However... As he's running through the streets, he makes it to sort of the edge of, like, this floating portion of the city. And he's surrounded by ninjas. There's, like, a mechanical dragon that's about to destroy him. And he's like, I'm gonna die. I'm gonna for sure die. It's tough for me to say what really happens here. He briefly considers planes walking away. The reality chip starts to do something weird in his pocket. Always a good sign. And then the emperor shows up and kills the dragon in a single blow. And it's like right through way later you're, you're getting ahead of way me later show. oh <laughs> you're... i was excited i thought cool things were happening cool things will be happening i promise you that never mind forget that the wanderer shows up tamio reveals that she was also there and stops a bunch of the ninjas on the roof and is like all right you're an idiot but it worked we now have the emperor and the reality chip i guess this went pretty well let's get out of here they turn invisible and flee to the palace just gonna take a breather here. We're gonna briefly summarize what the where the moving pieces are. 
Tezzeret and Jingataxius have been left behind in the lab with all of the kami and all of the equipment, except the reality chip. The reality chip has been brought up to the palace with the Emperor, Kaito, and Tamiyo. A lot of names to remember here. If I recall earlier, you mentioned something about the Wanderer slash Emperor being unable to planeswalk back to Kamigawa. Specifically, unable to control their spark. Right, it's kind of just like spinning a roulette wheel. Oh, okay. So, just complete chance that they showed yeah. up. It could be complete chance that they showed up. It could have something to do with what the reality ship was doing in Kaido's pocket. And that may or may not have something to do with the fact that he was thinking about planes walking. Uh. This part of the story is left intentionally vague. So as to be like, ah, it's not a deus ex machina. It makes sense. Because yeah. um, the reality ship is partly responsible for the Wanderer's spark. So it, it easily could be something like it's slowly activating or something weird's going on because the Wanderer's in proximity or, or there's a bunch of different things that are going on. Does this have to do with the fact that it was not known we were going back to Kamigawa when War of the Spark occurred and the Wanderer was just like a badass concept? Maybe. That's Could an be. exercise for someone other than us. Picking up where we just left off. We are now on the portion of the story, the break-in. The Emperor, as soon as she is back, goes and reunites with Kyodai. These two have been bonded since the Emperor was very young and the Emperor just had to spend 10 years away from this Kami. So they immediately reunite and focus on sort of bonding. The Emperor is still struggling to like stay on Kamigawa and hold any sort of presence there, at which point Tamiyo affixes the reality chip to her arm, and that, combined with her bond with Kyodai, allows her to stabilize on this plane. And that's that is what's holding her there. Affixes it to the arm of the Emperor. Yes. Tamiyo isn't looking at the Emperor having problems like, shit, that sucks. Anyway, I want better telekinesis. Yeah. <laughs> Plugs it right in. That would be the bad character. That would character. be the bad character ending. <laughs> I wonder what's going to happen soon. <laughs> um, all right. We get a little bit of an info dump and you're like, Eric, this has been all info dump. What do you mean? They knew what this they were getting in for. We said Kamigawa story. story. That's all, like, the one thing the original block did right was story. The cards were the problem. So <laughs> if you tell us, like, this, the info dump is not going to be happening in our story podcast. All right, so the uprisers and leaders of, like, this movement that's been going on politically to unseat the emperor who's been gone for 10 years and essentially to destroy the, like, imperial hierarchy, Jingataxius has informed them the emperor's back they are planning to immediately attack the castle and kill the Emperor before anyone can know she's returned. The Emperor is having visions of Jin Gitaxis, which is how she learned this. Uh, the reality chip appears to be connecting her to the lab somehow. So she wants to immediately go take the battle to Jin. Also, we get a moment sort of mixed in with this info dump where Kaido and the Emperor are like, we're still tight. In order to go forward from here, Light Paws, the Emperor, and Kaito... And his sister's mentor shows up with his sister. They essentially establish, okay, some people have to stay back here. Some people have to go to the compound. How are we going to divide this up? Initially, the idea is all the planeswalkers will go to the compound. Lightpaws convinces the Emperor that her people need her and she has to stay here. But she doesn't fight or, like, prepare for the fight. She just kind of sits in the room with the Kami. But we'll get to that. <laughs> Kaito and Tamio arrive at the compound to find that all of the equipment has been removed, like everything's gone, and all of the kami have been drained and turned to dust. That's how kami die, apparently, is they just sort of turn into this fine metallic dust, and they're all gone. At this point, they're like, okay, I guess we have to go find all of this stuff. If only the stuff would come to us. Yeah, at which point... Once again, Jin Gitaxius, gigantic freighter, reveals he was there the whole time, as well as Tezzeret. It's because of the pants, you know? I just thought it was some normal robot just out for a walk. <laughs> just a regular guy! Ripped off the pants, <laughs> and you knew that was Jin Gitaxius, like, right away. Tezzeret, knowing that he could wipe the floor with both of these planeswalkers with barely a thought, uh, decides to start evil monologuing. He reveals that the reason that the Phyrexians are here is that the Kami have this bond that we mentioned with planar travel and with, like, the immaterial. And he's here to study that. He specifically says, these aren't our ideal specimen, but they're good enough for now. Kaito actually pieces together that the ideal specimen that he's referencing is planeswalkers. At which point, Tezzeret gives him full points, an A+, and 
begins to once again wipe the floor with them. Tezzeret, literally without the help of any of the henchmen, which once again have all appeared in numbers, fully restrains Tamio before she can read any of her books, at which point he's just like, yeah, I covered your eyes. You're now completely useless. You're a bad planeswalker. <laughs> Feels like she should remember some of these stories. Like, I'm all for a, a, a dare program, like, drop everything and read. <laughs> That's but dear, Chiv. Dear. They call them different <laughs> things every year. They just wanted us to read books, man. Drop and read everything. Drop there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Dare. It's like stop, drop, and roll, but drop and read everything. Shit, something's <laughs> probably going to happen here that I thought happened the last time they were stuck in this lab being attacked and then someone just showed up. Yes. That's definitely not going to happen again. Uh, just to really quickly cover, uh, in addition to just covering Tamiyo's eyes, Kaido's like, I can throw things. And Tezzeret's like, I can throw things so much better than you can and just... Just absolutely owns the kid. Have you seen this arm? <laughs> Where Kaito's like, I'm going to throw some metal. And Tezzeret's like, hmm, well. How'd that work out for you last time? Both of these planeswalkers are knocked out and taken captive, at which point we jump back to the Emperor. She awakens from the meditation she had mentioned and is like, oh, it turns out I 100% should have gone with them. Uh, they absolutely need me and they're both useless. She actually manages to, notably, control her planeswalking for the first time. With the help of the reality chip and being next to Kyodai, she's able to center and focus herself enough to planeswalk directly to the lab, right behind Jin Gataxius, at which point she stabs him right in the chest, uh, like fully cleaving him open and leaving him for dead. She flies through the henchmen, which are apparently of no consequence to her because she's just better than Kaito, and frees both Kaito and Tamio, and they prepare to fight. So one of the things that I, I really appreciate about this story, appreciate might be too strong a word, but I think it's it's interesting. So in sitcoms and in TV shows, there's this concept of like a box episode where you used all of your budget to get characters that were across the country together in a big spectacular episode. So the next episode, you have to fill the 20 minutes or 30 minutes or whatever entirely on the same set. And sometimes that's what this story feels like. It's like we've got we've got the palace and we've got this lab. Like this, this weird lab that is visited three or four times in five story pieces. We go to the lab first. We find, you know, there's Kami there. And then Kaito tracks his friend Tameshi uh, to the meeting with Jin Kataxias. Goes back to the lab. Runs into Henchman and Jin Kataxias. Goes back to the lab. Like, I'm not saying that it didn't make sense for the story that was crafted. But we're, we're in written word here. Like, you could have, this could have happened anywhere. Like, we could have gotten notice that it went somewhere else. And, like, maybe it's because we're trying to tell, like, a condensed story in this block. Like, they understood Kamigawa last time. The scope was too large, so we're trying to, like, cut it down a little bit. But we could do better than Undercity, Lab, Palace. Unless we're turning this into a sitcom, which, as we've covered, Jin Kataxis is wearing pants. So it's a very possible for us to do that. I definitely agree. It's weird how often we go back to the lab, and I absolutely thought that as well. Like, shit, Jin Kataxis will never think we're going to go back to the lab. We've been to twice before. No one will ever suspect that move. I mean, let's admit, every trap Jin sprung at the lab absolutely worked. Every time he trapped them, <laughs> it was with full success. I, I kind of understand the lab, but I, I don't know about, like, the palace. Like, they've gone back to that a few times, haven't they? Oh, oh we're about to go back to the palace. Okay, great. Yeah, don't you worry. <laughs> yep. You thought like, we'd go somewhere else? Nah. It's very funny... Kaito, in the story, actually is like, man, we should go other places. <laughs> anyway, back to the lab palace. <laughs> that's when the that's, writer's that's like, nope, Kaito, stay on course. Come on, you got two locations in the budget. <laughs> that's also part of why I feel like they have to be setting up for another return to Kamigawa. Is like, they did just so much too much writing to only go to the lab and to the palace. Specifically, they describe so many factions it's incredibly difficult, or at least it was for me, to keep them straight all of the time. Like, there are the Uprisers, there are the Futurists, there are, like, groups that are part of these groups. The Undercity is an entirely developed thing just within Kaido's backstory that we never get to see in the current story. Like, it's... They do so much development and then do not a lot with it, but I still love the story they told. It's just, it feels like they were setting up for a bigger project. I have two predictions from that. Uh, one of them I hope is true and might be true by the time this podcast releases, but with previous ones we've seen. So first off, Wizards has tried to do something new here that I think was amazing. And that was put out the story prior to the card release. 
Because previously there's been like feels bad moments when a card gets spoiled and you're like, that's a moment that's going to be key to the story. Now we have the story ahead of time. So we can kind of use that to kind of like go for the card reveals and stuff. I think that's great. With previous stories though, the episodes that are of the main story don't, haven't released like, I think almost weekly, but there have been like side stories that come out at the same time. So I'm wondering if once the full set is released, we're going to get some of these side stories of other stuff because that's what we've seen from previous sets. The other thought I have, the kind of B, is the reason, and, and Eric kind of touched on this at the top, the reason that it was somewhat suspect to go back to Kamigawa is because the set was not received well mechanically. Lore-wise, amazing, super deep. People wanted to go back, but the set was such a commercial failure, it was hard for Hasbro and Wizards to kind of deem a success necessary. So some of this might have been kind of like a foot in the water, like here's the idea we have for the plane, here is multiple different factions, like to see if there's interest in coming back, but we're going to focus on a, a specific area that we think will be a little bit safer as opposed to kind of branching out. Now, obviously we're going to branch out with the card set, but I think this is a good sign of how to develop a set mechanically and functionally well that people want to go back to for hopefully returns to, you know, Lorwyn, Shadowmoor. There's calls for Homelands returns. So I think it's, it's more of like an experiment and so they're doing all they can with the experiment they were given. Overall, I think that they, there's a lot of interesting lore. And if you go and read, uh, there were a bunch of side story like bits uh, that are actually, they all have saga art in them that were released before this main story. And I would strongly recommend going back to read those. They cover a lot of the groundwork that sets the stage for this story. And unfortunately, we just didn't have time for them tonight. But our Patreon support, I'm just kidding. We're not, we're not we're, doing We're it, sorry, but. patrons. You get to read the notes? You can read the notes. <laughs> we could. <laughs> Sign up and we will. <laughs> we're on to the last section of the story, part five, and it's a doozy. Not to say that part four wasn't a doozy. I would definitely recommend, if you're going to read anything, read parts four and five. They are the most informationally intense and they will help clarify the most of what we're describing because, oh baby, there's a lot going on. Jingataxius, it is clarified the part of start part at the start of part five words, has attempted to stand up and cannot, it's assumed that he's, if not dead, close enough. Pants are holding him back. The pants are too they're, constricted. They're Rifts them off. <laughs> they manage to defeat everyone. Tamio is holding Tezzeret still. The Emperor decides, you know what, most of Tezzeret's crimes are against the Kami. The Kami should judge him. And we're gonna take him to go be judged. And we'll deal with this later. Typical good guy fallacy. Let's not kill the bad guy. Let's Batman it. And, you know, if 60 years of Batman have taught us anything, it always goes well. I've, I've said before, and I'll say it again, people are underestimating Tezzeret, uh, specifically Amio, too slow. Uh, she is restraining his physical body, but not his mind. And so he uses his technomancy to activate the reality chip. Now then, we've said this increases the power of planeswalkers, but it also does another thing. And that's actually the end of the story that we're getting to, is what does the reality chip do? It's not really clear, because the Emperor is just like, that hurts a lot. Kaito, in a rage, hits Tezzeret in the back of the head with two gigantic metal crates, which actually <laughs> knocks him unconscious. They once again elect to not kill him, but to take him away. At this point, it's determined the Emperor is being more hurt by the chip than she is being helped by it and the chip is transferred to Tamio to increase her telekinetic powers so that she can fly them all to the castle. Actually, oh, there you go. There is one more setting. It is the sky between the lab and the castle. We also go there. Oh, cool. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> the Emperor, Tamio, Tezzeret, and Kaito are all flying back to the castle. Uh, Tamio is flying them there on a giant mech that they've hijacked, essentially. Tezzeret wakes up again. No one thought to, like, really sedate him or like make sure that he was restrained or who could have unable to do anything at which point once again he's like all right i'm just gonna do exactly what i was doing before and i actually can't remember if he activates the reality chip or he does something to cause this giant mech to crash well one tesseret you know can control metal so that doesn't help the situation of them flying on a mech two tamio um decides to control the mech to let them fly and loot therefore loosens her grip on Tezzeret because she needed to read a story scroll I think to keep him paralyzed because like they didn't just knock him out they were like we need a scroll for this and then instead of focusing on that they focused on the giant mech that could travel them places so it was a bit of a a lot of stuff was going on not as much thought was being given to it as should have been the mech crashes into an apartment building in a giant fireball but 
everyone's fine. Uh, none it's of the, the Avengers, people on you know? the mech were actually harmed. <laughs> no one dies after getting thrown way. against a building. Yeah. Specifically, the Emperor who jumped off the mech before it crashed is hoofing it to the castle. And this this part of, part of the story is told from uh, Kaito and Tamio's perspective. So they are sort of scanning the crowd, looking for the Emperor, who is racing these uprisers to the castle to try and protect Kyodai. Tezzeret is looking for slash following the Emperor. So they move to cut off Tezzeret, both protecting the Emperor and giving her time to protect the Kami. So we get our... Th- <laughs> round two or three, I think. I guess round three of Tezzeret versus the Planeswalkers. This time, he doesn't have Jin Kataxi as his help. Not that Jin was helping before. But Kaito finally recognizes, holy crap, this is a man who can control metal and technology. <laughs> and takes off his metal technological armor. All right. Now we're thinking with portals. Exactly. Kaito still gets kind of wrecked by Tezzeret, but... Earlier, he sent his uh, drone to signal the Emperor, or to signal his sister, hey, I'm going to distract Tezzeret. Uh, can you kill him while I'm distracting him? And she throws a knife in his leg. And this is enough to weaken him briefly and paralyze Tezzeret. Uh, during this combat, I just want to throw this out there. Tamiya gets blinded again immediately. Literally just <laughs> Tezzeret sees her and is like, you're blind again. You're bad at this. <laughs> Due to their continuous refusal to kill Tezzeret, after being stabbed and sort of briefly restrained, Tezzeret's like, ah, never mind, I have what I need, grabs Tamio, who still has the reality chip in her, and uses, uh... Planar Bridge? The Planar Bridge. The Planar Bridge that Tezzeret, like, replaced his arm with back on Kaladesh. Tezzeret basically saw this thing that allows non-planeswalkers to walk between worlds. It was also used in War of the Spark to send an army from Amonkhet onto Ravnica. Tezzeret's got that on his arm. So whatever he wants, he can just literally think with portals and open a portal to wherever he wants and just yeet through it. Using this portal, he is able to forcibly planeswalk people. So he is able to kidnap Tamio, and it is later discovered he is also able to recover the body of Jingataxius. After this, uh, this main story kind of just ends. This leader of the rebellion, uh, you notice I have not mentioned the rebellion at all. It's because they don't matter in the end. <laughs> the Emperor eviscerates all of the chumps and then gets to the one named person in the resistance, clarifies she could kill this woman at any point in time and is not doing so in order to avoid further bloodshed. And then uh, Kaito hits her in the head with a rock and she passes out and is dealt with. Resistance quelled. I was worried. The entire time I was like, man, it's going to get troublesome if I have to talk about this at the end. Nope, we're done. That's all that they mattered. <laughs> Um, the uprisers all surrender or die or retreat as soon as it's revealed that their leader was defeated. We'll murder all the uprisers, but that Tezzeret, he deserves to stand trial. Yeah. As soon as this is resolved, literally immediately, the Emperor's like, <laughs> I, I'm a head out and her spark destabilizes again. She is not able to maintain a presence on the plane and worries that Kamigawa will once again suffer without the guiding hand of an Emperor and designates her instructor, Lightpaws, as her proxy. And Kyodai, the other half of the seat of the Emperor, gives its blessing, and it's sort of agreed that this will be the status quo going forward. She planeswalks away, and Lightpaws, a seven-tailed kitsune, grows an eighth tail. So, number of tails is something yeah, that we I was should be say, concerned about, got... I guess. Related and also to eight status. and a half tails. <laughs> eight and a half tails was better than like a surrogate emperor, or something? I don't know. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> it's implied that Jin Gitaxius survived based on the fact that Tezzeret doesn't seem like the man who'd come back for a body. <laughs> and Kaito begins his search once again, this time for Tamio, so that he can find the reality chip, so that he can find the Emperor. So we're kind of back where we started, really. Except one thing. <laughs> uh, and that one thing... Ooh, baby, is very bad. Turns out the reality chip is for turning planeswalkers into Phyrexians, probably. Because we resume our story with Awaken, the first Phyrexian planeswalker. And Tamio not only has been converted to a Phyrexian, but is stoked about it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's really driven home that, like, 
Tamio maintains neutrality, except when it comes to her home. Like, Tamio is willing to be passive, except for family. Or Innistrad, or Ravnica. <laughs> except for those things. And <laughs> it's it drives those home, and it's like, yeah, and the Phyrexians are her family, and Phyrexia is her home now. And this is like, if you've ever read the end of Big, uh, not Big Brother, 1984, uh, where the guy, spoilers for 1984, go read the book, I don't know. The guy at the end is like, oh, now I love Big Brother. It's great. The government is awesome. It's very much that kind of vibe. Tezzeret comes off a little bit, like, jealous of Tamio, or maybe distrusting of the fact that, like, the process fully worked. Yeah. Jingataxius reveals that it's in contact with Eleshorn, and that Eleshorn essentially didn't believe this was possible, but Jin, as all blue players, brags about how simply intelligent he is. And Tamio's now here to help with furthering this research and making the process better to turn Planeswalkers into Phyrexian. The last time we really saw Tamio in a story capacity was in Estrad Eldritch Moon. Um, and one of the things, like, Tamio, regardless of what happened in this set of episodes, can be incredibly powerful with access to her story scroll. She was able to quell Emrakul's influence in someone else by reading a story about, like, the first Myrrh. Um, and all these kind of things. So it's a lot of really powerful stuff there. Uh, and she has three scrolls that are iron bound and she promises to never open. And they're kind of ones that could invoke a massive devastation or something awful. So of course, to add like insult to injury for the first completed planeswalker, one of the last scenes of this sort of epilogue is Tamio looking at these scrolls that are bound in iron saying like, well, since my family's <laughs> at risk, time to pull out the big guns. Yeah. And you're like, oh, Come on, I mean, man. we were going to find out what those scrolls did eventually, but the fact that we're going to find it out this way is <laughs> a little rough. They're going to be used against the good guys. Oak, what, what, are, what are your thoughts in sitting in the in the theoretical role of a layperson? How do you <laughs> well, the story? First of all, I, th I think you did a great job telling it. Uh, this pretty much summarizes everything I feel like I need to know about the story, and I no longer feel I need to, need to go back and fully read the story. <laughs> um... So I hope our viewers are feeling the same way, of course. But I, I, I found a lot of it to be very interesting. I'm coming from a place where I, I don't... I, I, I really, like, going into this, didn't think I would care much for the story. Ended up being more interesting than I expected, though, for sure. But one thing I gotta say is, you know, before, like, during War of the Spark and sort of that era, I, I really thought the Wander was, like, super cool. Just, like the design and, like, the, the ability, too, because she, like, her her thing is, like, she, like, kills stuff in, in one hit or something like that, and they vanish into, like, white smoke, sort of. They, like, she exiles stuff, essentially, and she does it really, like, stylishly. And after hearing this, I, like, just don't think she's that cool anymore, honestly. It, it's just, like, the, the way she, like, sort of behaves and how, like, when she shows up, it's it's just, like, it's not, it's not that... It, cool i don't know <laughs> i think it's got big like man behind the curtain energy right it's it's while the wanderer remains nameless and this entity that is unknown what it really does it's going to be cooler and then when a face is kind of put to a name there is that level of like coolness that is lost like oh okay now you do this i think for trying to tie the the wanderer to a particular character with a known story i think the story did like almost as good of a job as it could like it humanized the wanderer enough that they could be seen as a character in the story but the fact that they couldn't stay on kamigawa like they still kicked ass whenever they showed up into a fight on kamigawa i'm a fan of the overall like image still i think that was trying to be created here uh but yeah i definitely think that you know once you reveal the workings behind a magical event it's going to lose some of that luster i, I definitely agree with chev but i do think I, I kind of blew past the bits where the Wanderer did a lot of ass-kicking, but pretty much the back half of these five parts is the Wanderer is just so much stronger than most of the people in this story. It's really sort of implied that, like, yes, she caught Jin unaware, but, like, the situations she is described as navigating are situations that, like, Kaito has to, like, concede out of. She's really put on another level by the story, and so I definitely recognize that, like, the face to a name and sort of resolving the, like, oh, well, who is the Wanderer? What is the Wanderer doing? What does the Wanderer want? Reduces the mystery mystery of it all and like that level of interestingness but 
uh, they definitely do a good job of showing off how strong she is. It, it definitely seems like sometimes, like the her her um, g- goals are at odds sometimes with the other ones. I feel like like when she like decides to stay back and like help fend off the rebellion, and maybe it's because the rebellion was seemed like less like and less important part of the story than like Jin Gataxius. Maybe that's just because we know that. Gitaxius is a, is a, a bad threat. dude. Yeah. And yeah, exactly. Um, and then it's like, but she's like, oh, I'm just concerned about my home planet. Well, yeah, I, I get that. Um, how 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 does she seem to to compare it to like Tezzeret in terms of like a uh, power level? Because Tezzeret's, you know, he's an old he's an old planeswalker, com- relatively, you know. So and they tend to just be more. I don't think the two of them ever fight. It is described that, like, when the Wanderer breaks into the facility to, like, get up Tamio and Kaito, like, she literally hands Kaito a knife and is like, here you go. <laughs> like, this is going to be your weapon for this fight. And then Tamio isn't even awake at the end of that story. And then when we pick up in part five, Tezzeret has been restrained and Kaito now has his equipment back. And so they have to get from everyone is unarmed except the Wanderer to Tezzeret is restrained and everything is their everyone has their equipment back. <laughs> and I feel like that that leans on the Wanderer being pretty powerful in that yeah. situation. That makes sense. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, I want to echo what Oakley said that Eric did a great job kind of explaining the story and bringing us up to speed. Except Eric forgot one vital fact that is key to the future of the multiverse. And that is the fact that there is a Kami of dishwashing. <laughs> In the notes, Eric says it's his favorite Kami and he would die for it. And it didn't get a single mention. I mentioned him at the start. No, you mentioned that there was Kami for pottery. You did not mention that there was one for dishwashing. I apologize. It is the Kami of the Imperial Dishware. (laughs) And I mentioned that he lives in a sink and washes dishes. Well, you didn't mention it enough because I forgot. He's an absolute champ. And he has little, like, porcelain cups that float around his head. He's cute as a button. Someone drops dishes, and the Kami becomes very upset and starts to roast everyone who isn't Kaito while Kaito is stealing dumplings. Very good scene. It's Kaito's fault, by the way. <laughs> All right. There we go. That's that's the current Kamigawa story in a nutshell. As we record this, cards are still coming out, hopefully giving more context to the other factions that are involved, other characters. We hope you really enjoyed this, this lore episode. Let us know if we missed anything or apparently it's tradition to (laughs) roast creators for the pronunciation of names. So if we've done any of that uh, incorrectly as well, let us know. Anyway, we're rambling. Therefore, podcast is over. Thank you again for for listening and tune in next time when we give our our prime picks and our favorite cards that have come out from this this new Kamigawa set. (laughs) 